We have to be really careful about how we tell stories, how we ask about stories. I want this anonymous forever, or I want it to be released after I'm dead. It's not always been easy to do the research because, you know, um, terminology has changed over the years. And, you know, you went from being called a sexual deviant to a homosexual to now we use all of the letters of the alphabet. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Today, a new virtual exhibit launches at the Missouri History Museum. It's called Gateway to Pride, and it aims to uncover the often untold stories of St. Louis's LGBTQIA communities. And joining us today to talk about it is Sharon Smith. She's the curator of civic and personal identity and the content lead for this exhibit. Sharon, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. It's good to be here. And we're also joined today by historian Stephen Brawley. He's the founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project and also a member of the Missouri History's LGBTQIA Advisory Board. So, Steve, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Sarah. So, Sharon, let's start with you. I understand this Gateway to Pride exhibit was set to begin displaying last summer. Let me guess, uh, COVID is one factor in why that changed. Yes, COVID is the only factor. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a fair guess, isn't it? <laughs> that's correct. Uh, yeah, we were going to do um, this launch as a, um, a, a sort of an opportunity to tell the folks about the uh, initiative in a small atrium um, presentation in our lower level of the museum. And it was going to open in June of 2020. And when COVID hit, we, um, of course, knew at that point we had to all be quarantined. We weren't sure when we would even open up the museum again. Mm-hmm. So we we had to really sort of turn on a dime and figure out how we might uh, still get this information out there because we need, this is really a grassroots movement to get the, uh, the public involved in this effort of collecting all of these stories, the artifacts, the photos, whatever it is. And, you know, that can only happen if they know that we need it. So, mm-hmm. um, so we turned and did this virtual exhibit at first of our kind. And I understand this virtual exhibit is in part a call to action for something bigger you have planned that doesn't happen till 2024. Uh, what is that going to be? Yes. So that is the uh, large exhibit that we are planning in our major, one of our major 6,000 square foot galleries. So, you know, we always think several years out for these things and it takes time to, to make all of those, um, those pieces put to, get put together. And in this case, it, because it's a collecting initiative as well, it gives us time to gather artifacts and the stories and everything that goes into this initiative. And, and so we're looking forward to that by, you know, gathering all this information. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a large grassroots effort. I mean, we need everybody to help us with this story. Mm-hmm. So tell us, what kind of things are you looking for as, as you look to tell this story? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just about anything that you can think of. I mean, when you think about an exhibit, you think about photographs, you think about artifacts, you think about media pieces that might be production pieces. Um, uh, Are you still there? Uh, Yes. Uh, Sharon, can you still hear me? I believe Sharon can't hear me. Oh, there she is. Sorry, (laughs) Sorry. Sharon. (laughs) We had some loss up there. Yes. (laughs) It's also COVID. Um, Yes. (laughs) So so what we, um, you know, so we're also looking for artifacts and those things can be, you know, just 
almost anything, you know, people are cleaning out their closets these days. And so we're asking people to think about, you know, events they might have gone to, things they might have picked up, archival documents, um, letters, you know, whatever you can think of. And, and we'll be able to then tell you how those things fit. We, um, we, I don't want to jump into your, <laughs> to your uh, sort of way of getting Stephen into this conversation, but honestly, it's with Stephen's help that we got this program started and this, this whole initiative. And, you know, it's because a lot of people went to him and just gave them, gave him stuff. And mm. we call it stuff, but it's, it really is the, the really actual um, heart of the history of this community, this group of communities is because you know, they kept things that were important to them. And we wanted them to be able to tell those stories through the documents and the artifacts. So, Steve, that, that is a perfect segue to bring you into this. People were giving you stuff. Um, is that um, as a part of this St. Louis LGBT history project that, that you've been doing now for some years? Sure. Yeah. Um, in 2007, I started the project. And again, it was grassroots. It was a, an effort to find a way to preserve and promote our local history. So, Along the way, um, we, um, I started looking at ways to partner with other organizations. And, of course, the History Museum was a natural partner. So I've been partnering with the museum since 2013 formally and have worked closely with Sharon and the entire team over there. They do an amazing job. I've learned a lot about the museum business. And, you know, um, you know we collaborated on the 250th anniversary of St. Louis exhibit, on the Route 66 exhibit, and, um, you know, Sharon and, and Dr. Francis Levine, the president of the, of the Historical Society, have made a strong commitment to diversity. And, um, you know, the, the exhibits, you know, um, that, that they have done have, have promoted that. And now with the um, Gateway to Pride Initiative, um, a real thoughtful, thoughtful um, advisory group has been put together, very diverse, lots of voices, lots of um, ways to get stories from lots of different um members of the community that um, their stories haven't been told. Hmm. So, Sharon, um, that leads me to, you know, some of these stories that haven't been told. What are some of the challenges in getting the untold stories, the, the true reality of what was happening on the ground? Yeah, that's a good point, Sarah, because, you know, it's not, this is a, a, um, a community where often people's um, identity needs to remain hidden in some fashion, right? Especially mm-hmm. over the years. And um, so so we have to be really careful about how we tell stories, how we ask about stories. It's not always been easy to do the research because, you know, um, terminology has changed over the years. And, you know, you went from being called a sexual deviant to a homosexual to now we use all of the letters of the alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. To um, to include everybody's um, way that they identify. And so it's that has been hard. And then just trying to um, get into those communities and, and, and find the people who, who have um, a story to tell or want to tell a story, that's also been sort of what we've done with Stephen has been to connect with the community. You know, MHS hasn't always been at the table. But um, Stephen has for a long time. And so he has pointed us in the direction of um, people or organizations or um, just all kinds of ways that we can begin to um, go into those communities and make sure that they are aware that we want to tell their stories. And then then that willingness really opens up. And it's been it's been really fruitful. 
Um, Steve, I'm curious how you deal with people who've passed away. They may have friends or loved ones that want to tell their story, and their story is such an important part of our history. But maybe when they were alive, this wasn't something that they wanted everyone to know. How, how do you handle somebody who's in that situation? Yeah, that's um, very tricky, and you, know, you have to handle it on a case-by-case basis. Um, normally, you know, we, you know, I've gotten calls throughout the years, someone has passed away, and their stuff was being thrown away, and so, you know, we were able to, you know, um, get those items um, safely, um, you know, from the trash bin. Um, sometimes people will say they want things anonymous. Sometimes mm-hmm. family members or friends um, are willing to do an old history or, or, or talk about the person. Um, but, you know, often we've done some oral histories with our partners where, you know, the person will say, I don't want you to, I want this anonymous forever, or I want it to be released after I'm dead. You know, lots of different scenarios exist, but, you know, it is a um, very sensitive, um, you know, situation. We do it on a case-by-case basis. Are you finding that, you know, as things continue to change in the world and as there continues to be more and more acceptance of this, that people are more open to doing an oral history or having their name used in their oral history, that sort of thing, Steve? I would say in the last, you know, since we've been doing this, you know, um, on a large scale since 2007, I think people hearing and seeing things being done in a way that's, um, I use the word appropriate, but respectful. Um, we're not trying to tell a, a sensational story or embarrass anyone or um, divulge some family secret. And so I think the more people see like the exhibit that's, you know, we're going to be launching tonight, the more people see things um, being put out there in the community and it's being done in a thoughtful, respectful way, I think that does help lessen apprehension. Hmm. Well, that's great to hear. Sharon, I'm sure that makes your job easier, too. People are starting to realize, hey, this is a good, long-standing partner. This isn't just somebody coming in and, and trying to go for the sensational here. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, that's been really key is, you know, uh, this large advisory group that we have um, sort of formulated. They're all really important to us because they all have connections, but they also, many of them have been in the community for years and years and they, they kind of know you know, how to help us um, in that, in that regard. And so it is, it is definitely um, something that we want to enter into um, with the most sensitivity. And, um, and it requires, as Stephen said, a case by case understanding of each person's um, desires. We're talking today to Sharon Smith. She's a curator of civic and personal identity uh, at the Missouri History uh, Missouri Historical Society. She's also the content lead for this new virtual exhibit that goes up today at the Missouri History Museum. And we're joined by Stephen Brawley, who's the founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project. He's also a member of the Historical Society's LGBTQIA Advisory Board. Um, I want to talk a bit about this exhibit that is going up today. And I want to talk a little bit about some of these artifacts. Sharon, I understand one of them is something you collected way before there was a dedicated initiative for this. This is a homemade foam core coffin. What was the significance of that? Yeah, this is this is maybe one of my uh, favorite pieces only because, you know, back in the day in 2004, when um, as a, a curator who wasn't quite sure where the History Museum would ever um, be to, you know, produce an exhibit on the 
lesbian and gay community, as we were calling them back, the, back in that day, we were calling the community back then. I thought, you know what, this piece, though, has such a story. This is about the ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash uh, Power. And, you know, it was about AIDS and, and the whole notion surrounding, um, you know, that, that very, very scary period of our, of our lives. And, um, and the, the piece was, you know, not in the best of shape. And so I thought, oh, boy, they're going to tell me about that. That's going to be a problem. When, you know, <laughs> I take it in and the, and the collections people are like, but it's not all in the best. And, you know, I just thought, no, this piece needs to needs to be here. And without any idea when I would ever see it on the floor of the museum, I took it in. And it is a wonderful piece. Um, Greg Gerhardt is the donor. And Greg, um, we've, we've told his story several times, but he, he marched in many of the um, um, ACT UP demonstrations in the city and mm-hmm. carried that coffin. And it's very light, you know, so it's not foam core, it's yeah. foam core, right? Um, but it is um, just a, a really, really significant piece. That same year, um, we, we took in a pride flag, a piece of a pride flag that I also thought I would never see. And Stephen witnessed um, that piece go up in 2014 on the floor of the museum when we did our 250 exhibit. Um, the museum has come a long way. Mm-hmm. And I thank Dr. Levine and, and uh, the staff because they have been able to to help us get to this point. Stephen, is there any artifact uh, that's been gathered up to this point that stands out to you as, as just feeling significant or, or having a good story? Oh, sure. Um, you know, working in collaboration with the museum, one of the um, one piece um, in particular, Rodney Wilson, who was a um, teacher or, you know, as an educator in, in the region, but hit back in the 90s, he was a, a teacher in Melville and he um, came out and what was a national story that he came out to his students. And um, so he um, donated a um, um, a poster that one of his students made that was a recreation of a March on Washington poster. Hmm. And he had the students do this, you know, exercise. And so he donated um, one of the um, posters that one of his students made. So, you know, it was very brave of him. He was um, is also credited as the founder of what we now know as um, LGBTQIA History Month in October. He was the force behind that initiative. And so... You know, it connects lots of stories, education and, you know, social, you know, justice. Lots of different stories go into this very simple homemade poster that a student made back, you know, in the 90s here in St. Louis. Mm, that's so cool. And, and Sharon, in addition to these artifacts, um, you've also got a bunch of oral histories featured in this exhibit. I understand one of them is from Jeanette Mott Oxford. Uh, in 2004, she made uh, they... Zur, sorry, made history as the first openly lesbian member of the Missouri State Legislature. Jeanette is such a force of nature. What kind of story uh, is told in that oral history? Yeah, so, you know, first I have to say that um, I have an assistant whose name is Ian Darnell, and Ian um, came to us late in 2019 to be a part of this project, and Ian has conducted all of those oral histories that we'll find on that that website or the virtual experience uh, this evening. And um, he spent, I think he said, six hours with Jeanette um, as they talked about so much of um, Jeanette's history. Mm -hmm. And, And you're right. There is there is a lot there. I I can't even begin to tell you because I wasn't a part of that that whole process that he that he um, that he spent with uh, with Jeanette. I will say that 
when we first sort of outed the museum, if you will, I sort of like to play on that word, whenever I first <laughs> said to our first audience that we had this collecting initiative and I had the permission to out the museum and say, hey, we were going to collect things. Um, in that first audience, Jeanette Mott Oxford was sitting there as I said to the group, you know, if you have materials that you would like to donate. And Jeanette came up to me and said, I have my materials that I would like to donate. And I was so, so excited. So we have some uh, papers, some, some artifacts, um, a nameplate for uh, when Zer was the, I can't remember, in the ethics committee, I believe, in the House. And mm-hmm. so there are, there are some really, really significant pieces um, that tell Jeanette's story. But the, uh, the oral history is, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot there. And so you said six hours worth of conversation. Is that something that then is distilled down? Or, or can people listen to that entire thing through this site? Well, through the site, you'll you'll hear. I think there might be eleven clips um, from Jeanette's stories, and so then there are three other oral histories where there are similar numbers of clips. The whole six hours will not be heard at this point, but at some point later down the road, somewhere, we will be able to um, to link those to the the larger work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, in our final minutes here, we talked about how this virtual exhibit is sort of a call to action that's gathering more for this uh, bigger exhibit that's going to open in 2024. So when we talk about untold stories, are there any bits of local history that you know is out there, but you still haven't been able to document yet, and this is on your must-get list? Yes, of course. We you know think about this all the time in terms of, of stories that are either lost or untold. And so you know, um, you know, especially in the African American community, we know it was an oral history tradition. There may not be artifacts, but I, you know, have a lot of friends in the community who um, have, you know, told me that they have elders in the community that, you know, we're, you know, we're talking to and trying to, um, you know, hopefully build trust and comfort so they would be maybe interested in telling stories that, um, you know, we know that have not been told. Especially in the trans community, we know there are um, lots of stories. Um, that have not been told. Um, St. Louis um, was a very important um, medical center, of course, that still is today, but back in the 60s and 70s. And there were um, um, lots of um, 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 surgeries being performed that um, folks would be coming in from across America um, for, um, for, for their, um, for their um, sexual identity um, uh, procedures and, and transformations. And so, you know, we know those stories are there, and so we're just hoping by the, the more we get the word out, the more we can find out um, who has stories and, and how we can have people be comfortable telling them. Well, I hope if, if anyone is listening and they have a story that fits the bill for what Stephen is looking for, I hope you will reach out and uh, get this recorded for history. I also hope people will check out this exhibit tonight. Um, Sharon, when will this go live and, and where can people find it? Yeah, so we have a a launch event this evening that is um, completely full, (laughs) Um, you know, as Zoom is, you know, normally we would just say, oh, well, come, come along. Um, And but, you know, after that, you can just go to uh, the website and you'll be able to find it um, somewhere, some somehow on that site. And I think that we'll be able to put that up pretty, pretty easily. If you just go to mohistory.org, you'll be able to find it. It is called Gateway to Pride. So you'll just be able to find it through that. And uh, the link will be will be right there. And then you can enter it and just um, really play in it. And and we really do want to hear people. There's lots of opportunities where we'll say, share your story with us. And we really do mean that. Like we want, we want feedback. We want 
you know, opportunities to understand more of what you want to see, or what people want to see, what what we might have missed, what they think we might have done that they need to they need to correct. You know, we might make mistakes. I'm, I guess we will at some point. <laughs> Well, I hope people will check that all out. That, again, is at mohistory.org. It will be live tonight. And Sharon Smith, Curator of Civic and Personal Identity at the Missouri Historical Society, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Stephen Brawley, founder of the St. Louis LGBT History Project, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.